theyeshiva.net. In the first class, in this sicha, this talk, this shir of the Lubavitcher Rebbe that was presented, Shabbos Parashas Ve'eri Tavshin Lamed Aleph, that's 1971, 51 years ago, published in Lakut Sicha's volume 16, Parashas Ve'eri, we learned the first three, the first three si'ifim, first three chapters, we're holding chapter four, Se'iv Dalit, it's the second column on page 50. The first half, which is what we addressed last time, we learned through and tried to have a, a basic understanding in a very, very intense Rashi in the beginning of the era, because the sequence of the verses and of the events is not easily understood in Chumash, which is why the commentators have so many different perspectives. But the point was that at the end of Parashat Shmois, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Hashem and he cries out, Lama Why have you afflicted? Why have you brought so much suffering and agony to this people? And since I came to Paroi to speak in your name to emancipate them, you did not save the people. On the contrary, things became much, much worse. And Hashem responds, and this is the last Pesach of Shemais, Atatira, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Parai. He's going to expel you from his land. And then comes a new parsha of Eira. Hashem speaks to Moshe and he says, I appear to Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov with the name Shindalad Yud, but they never saw the name Yud K Vav K. And I made a covenant with them to give them the land of Eretz Yisrael. And now I've heard the outcry of the Jewish people and go tell the Jewish people, I am God and I'm going to extract you from Egypt and going to save you and going to liberate you and take you out of here and bring you to the Holy Land. What's the sequence here? What is going on here? At the end of Shmei, Hashem says one thing in the beginning of Eid, he starts a new conversation about, I appear to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. So Rashi gives us a second interpretation, which Rashi himself rejects. It's from the Medrash. And what was the interpretation? The interpretation was that our Rebbe's taught that this entire sequence is all a continuation of Shmei. Moshe said, why have you caused so much suffering to the people? And Hashem said, I miss the others. I grieve the death of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Why? I revealed myself to them many times with my name, Shindalad Yud. They never asked me what your name is. You asked me what's my name. I made a covenant with them that they get the Holy Land, but Avram Avinu has to buy a plot, he has to pay a lot of money. Yitzchak has to fight for the wells that he dug in Eretz Yisro, which is his land. Yaakov has to buy and purchase a field for a large sum of money near Shechem. And none of them second-guessed me. And you second-guessed me. You want to know, you know, why am I behaving this way? They can accept me on my terms. You did it. Rashi rejects his interpretation. He says it's not the literal interpretation. He says it's one of the interpretations, but it's not the literal flow. This is how Rashi understands. So the whole beginning of the era is Hashem responding to Moshe, contrasting his behavior with the behavior of the others. And the Rebbe's big question was, there's something off, there's something stranger. Because at the end of Shemais, Rashi said exactly the same thing. When Hashem said, now you're going to see, 
he says Hashem was, again was was lamenting that you're not like Avramovino. Avramovino, I told him to bring Yitzchak as an offering, and his response was obedience. He didn't second guess me. He didn't say, "How can you do this? You told me that Yitzchak is going to father a nation." And you are second guessing me. And the Rebbe says he doesn't understand. In the end of Shmois, the contrast is Tavram Avinu, and only one story that came. And suddenly in Ve'eda, the contrast is Tavram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and he gives different stories. Why not at the end of Shmois does he bring also Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? And in Avram itself, he brings a different story in Shmois and a different story in Ve'eda. In Shmois, is the story of the Akkad, in Ve'eda, it's the story of Baimar Samachpela. Again, in the end of Shmois, it's a literal interpretation. It's not Medrash. In Ve'eda, he says, no, it comes from Rabbi Seinu, and he rejects it too. And this was the big discussion in last week's class. The Rebbe showed the difference between the end of Shmois and the beginning of Eira with two different perspectives that we explored. And you could review it. I know I'm not going to repeat it now because I want, to fur- I want to go further. But you could review it in last week's class so you understand the literal shot of how to understand this Rashi. <laughs> Now, as we begin Siv Dalit, I'm going to remind you the story that we learned last time. You remember the story? The long story that I shared with you, the incredible story of the Magid of Mizrich, what he saw by the Baal Shem Tev on Shabbos, and he shared it with his student, the Alter Rebbe, who shared it with his grandson, the Tzamech Tzedek, and it came down all the way to the Rebbe Rayat, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was shared it in a letter, and that's how we know the story. And the point of the story was that the Magid was sitting Shabbos, privately with the Baal Shem Tev, with the other close students, and he was thinking why the Baal Shem Tev displays so much love and affection to the simple, illiterate, and not very educated or enlightened Jews. It's so much nicer when the meal is just with the, you know, the inner circle, as they say, the Chavrai Kadisha. And the Baal Shem Tev had all the students place their arms on each other and sing many songs and close their eyes and suddenly they saw a picture that they couldn't didn't see before. They saw the Tehillim being said by those simple Jews that Shabbos morning or that Shabbos afternoon because they came back to Shul after their lunch because they weren't invited to the Basham Tov's meal. And the Magid experienced the spiritual ecstasy in heaven and on earth from their Tehillim. And what happened was the Magid felt so much remorse that, you know, he, he second-guessed the Baal Shem Tev. The Baal Shem Tev gave a whole tayra about what shuva is and what sometimes a person that looks sometimes like a simple Jew reaches a place that is so much deeper and more authentic and more sincere than anybody else. And the Magid really felt remorse that he was... You know, he was suspicious. He, he, he felt this negativity about what the Baal Shem Tov was doing. And he has a vision one night of Moshe Rabbeinu teaching Chumash to children, where Avram Avinu starts laughing at the promise that he's going to have a child. At least according to one of the interpretations, he was laughing. And Moshe Rabbeinu tells the children that you have to understand that even a holy body is still a body. In other words, the body responds a certain way. The body gets triggered in a certain way. Even a holy body. <laughs> And that's when the Magid calms down. The Magid calms down after he has this vision. So this is going to be explored. 
I hope you remember the story. I'm not saying all the details because we did it last time. I just wanted to look something up in the story. So now let's go further. Dalit. To explore the wine of Torah that exists in this Rashi. The wine of Torah, the Alter Rebbe said that in, in Rashi is the Yena Shal which means like Pnimi Yisotayda. Even in a simple Rashi, you have deep, deep esoteric and spiritual wisdom. Yeshloima, you one can say, Ados is Mirum is in the Shaykhis, which in the Beda has Bodhis, but Pirush Rashi Hanal. It will be intimated in the connection between the two explanations that we gave in Rashi. The two explanations were the first explanation was that at the end of Parshish Shmois, Moshe Rabbeinu is complaining to Hashem not just that he did not manage to save the Jewish people, but that by coming to Parai, things became worse, which is much more painful. It's like, you don't want to send me, don't send me. But now, it's not just you didn't send, it's not just you sent me. You sent me to redeem them, and Parai increased the burden of labor. So here Hashem has to contrast Moshe's behavior to another behavior, where as a result of Hashem's promise, things became worse. And that's why he brings the Akedah. If you don't make a promise, you don't make a promise. Somebody doesn't have a child, it's very painful. But when you bless somebody with a child, when they're older, and then that child is taken away, and the father is the one who has to do it, the pain is so much more profound. Hashem promised Avram Avinu, you're going to have a child, and he has a child. Then he tells him this child is going to father a nation. So it's this promise that caused such a deeper tsar, and still Avram Avinu, did not second-guess God. So that was the contrast only at the end of Shmois. So Rashi couldn't bring the other stories of Mar Samachpela with Avram or the wells of Yitzchok or the field of Yaakov. Over there, Hashem's promise did not raise the prices. They had to pay anyway. The question is, Hashem told them, this is your land. So therefore he brings... In the end of Shmois, one story, the eight, another story, as explained at length. The second explanation was, in Siv Gimel, Moshe wasn't complaining about himself, he was complaining about the people. So you can't talk about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov in terms of things that happened to themselves when they wanted to buy a field. Because over there, they could have said to themselves that maybe the promise wasn't fulfilled because of their own misdoings, their own misdeeds, Garimachet. But Moshe can't say that it's not about himself. He can't say his sin causes the whole nation to causes the whole nation to suffer. So it's a whole different complaint. So that's why he brings from Avram Avinu with Akeid over there. It wasn't about Avram Avinu himself that he's being punished. It's for all the generations. There's not going to be a Jewish people. So he can't say it's because of his own sin. Nonetheless, he accepted it. He didn't feel he has to wrap his brain around God. By Yitzhak and Yaakov, we don't find such behavior. That's why in Shmois, he brings out another element, where in Va'eda he brings out a different element. So he says, let's see the connection between these two explanations. We once spoke at length, when you speak about the lives of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, there's two aspects. Aleph, number one, Vimaisa Avesam Tzachgeton, Vimaisa Avesam Tzachgeton by the Aves Mitzad Gufam. 
und in dem ist Scheich, es Avram soll deigen, Schemme, Kibalt, Ischan, Alzit, Kösei, es soll beten an Eus, a Jerusha, Saaretz, weil der ist bei Jakob. You have the Avois, and the way their actions happen because of their bodies. And here Avram Avinu could be worried that maybe he received a reward for his good deeds, as it says in Parshish Lech Lecha, and he's asking for a sign from Hashem that he's going to inherit the land. That's in Parshish Lech Lecha. Or similarly by Yaakov, he's afraid that maybe he won't be saved from Esav in the beginning of Ayishlach. This takes us to the story of the Mizritcha Magad as Ed Gizen, Vimoshin Abbeinu Lenet, Mitinoikishal Bisraban, and Posik, Vayipal Avram, Aponova Yitzchak, Vayemer Beliba, Halaben, Meyashoni Yivolet, Vimsara Bastishim Shona Taylor, Unize Masbir as Ein Mikri Yetzim Dipshute. The Magad has a vision, Moshe learning with Jewish kids. And he teaches them the Pasuk in Parshas Lech Lecha. This is in Ganeiden. That Avram Avinu laughs. Am I going to have a child when I'm 100? Is Sarah going to have a child when she's 90? And what Moshe says, that every Pasuk has to be understood. Literally, how can Avram Avinu doubt Hashem's promise? And he says, you have to understand that the body has its own rhythm. And you can't feel terribly alienated by that. You have to almost understand how the body works. In other words, sometimes there are thoughts that come in naturally because you have a goof. And it responds in a certain way. And, and, it, and it's, not, it's not the end of the world. The Magad calmed down. The Magad realized that his thoughts in which he was responding to the Baal Tev, it's because the goof perceives a certain element of reality and, and, and it experiences these sensations. It's a fascinating idea. And you have to appreciate that. You have to know that. You can't beat yourself up for that. It calmed down the Magid because Moshe Rabbeinu said it about Avram Avinu. Then, of course, there's a decision how you're going to behave, what you're going to do. But the fact that your body is experiencing certain sensations, it's a very, very fascinating idea. This comes from Moshe Rabbeinu. Telling it to the children in Ganadin that the Magid sees, and the Rebbe is saying it over. About the Magid is saying it over about himself. He's telling the Alter Rebbe, who tells it to the Zamachzade, that you just have to appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story happened in Warsaw. It was a fascinating story. I have to remember the details. It was shared by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. The Germans, the Nazis, declared war on Poland September 1st, 1939. Just two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. And of course, this was the beginning of the Second World War, which changed everything. Polish jury count numbered then, I think, more than three million. In a few years, Poland and most of Eastern Europe would be Judenrein. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yisavitzchuk, was in Warsaw. Nazi-occupied Warsaw. And during those first weeks, the bombs were falling in Warsaw. The planes were flying over Warsaw. The Nazis entered Warsaw. And the bombs were found. Many, many people died 
in those explosions. And the Rebbe himself, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's life himself, was in danger, like all of the other Jews living there in the center of Warsaw. <coughs> the Rebbe then, the Rebbe Ayatz, was a very calming figure. He, 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 he was very, very calming and serene figure for the people around for his students, for, for, for his family. He would sit and write a lot. And he was one day sitting and writing, I think he was writing a mimer. And a bomb fell very close. And it exploded literally, you know, sometimes it feels like it exploded one foot away from you and you're done. That was the sensation. Somebody was there, wrote it down, Rabbi Weinberg. And the Rebbe's hand... The Rebbe's hand started to tremble. He also had MS. His hand started to tremble. And this person nearby got very scared when he saw like the Rebbe trembling. And the Rebbe said, I'm not scared. Every bomb has an address. But the goof responds in a certain way. Internally, he was not overwhelmed. He was not terrified. But the body responds a certain way. That, that's part, part of the rhythm. There's different levels of that. Sometimes the body responds with, with internal terror. The point is that the goof has a dynamic. It has a vibrancy of its own. It's what we've been talking about, the donkeys, you know, the three donkeys. So maybe it's interesting that Moshe is the one who says this. He's the one who started to you know, use the donkey for his wife and his children, as we spoke last week. So this made the Maggot feel much better. So the Rebbe says here, that when we speak about the Avos, there's a level of Maisa Avos, the way it's facilitated through the body, and there Avramavinu could say, you know, how do I know you're going to give me the land of Eretz Yisrael? Or Yaakov could say, you know, I don't feel, that you, I, I don't feel safe, even though you promised me. I'm worried, I'm worried. And this is a fascinating idea that even the Avais, who have such a holy body, but nonetheless, it's a goof. It's, it's a goof and it responds a certain way to phenomena, to stimuli, to what it observes. Then there's Bez, there's a second dimension. Then there's the Maisa Avais. The way it's happening on the level of their soul. And on the level of their soul, they're not, they're not questioning, they're not questioning God at all. There's no questioning God. There's complete trust. There's complete faith. How do you translate? I'm looking. So I think it's the idea of, of questioning, <clears throat> questioning Hashem's ways. On the level of the soul, they don't question Hashem's ways. They're just completely aligned. If this is Hashem's, Hashem's desire, they're good. They're not questioning the way He, wa- he runs the world. Umat at a previous occasion, a previous sicha, we explained. As the Pirushim and Pirushashi al Darach Hapshat Gufatayra, Reidivagin Maisa Ovis Mizanim and Sadha Guf. On the Pirushim al Darach Hamedush Agadush Batayra, Maisa Ovis and Sadhanashama. The explanations in Rashi on a literal level, which represents the body of Torah, reflect the actions of the Avais 
as they are happening on a bodily level. The explanations in Medrash, which deal with the soul of Torah, reflect the Avais as they are experienced from a soul perspective. And both are true. There's layers in Torah that reflect layers of people. So the Pshat of Torah represents the Guf. The Guf of Torah represents the Guf of a person. The Agada of Torah, the Neshama of Torah, represents the Neshama of a person. In Pidush Rashi, Seif Parashat Shmois, was says Al Derech Hapshat, that's it. Vegin Ma'isav is Vezayin Mitzad Haguf. Did he become an Idbring and an Ayat to Moshe Shaila Benegei LaAmaza? From them was Loihiru Benegei in Yaneim Aprot Vibaldus Kenzan as Avram Tachcham Kibalti Schan Al Derech Zabayakov. Mashenkin Loit Rabbi Seinu Darshu Agadosh Betayra. Was Roiv Seides Hatayra Gnuzin Ba? Is the Ingin for Ma'isav is Mitzad Haneshama? Is a raya oich from them with the obvious lay hidden ruben again as a rain yon and pratim. Al derech zekem and maz bezain oich beshaiches to my shirabeno. I'll explain in a moment. Das was my shot getainet. Lamariosa lamaza, umi osbasil paralavish machere lamaza. Like shootish shall make readers given with that oif and olive. Is shaiach to zogan at the Sazanin for near hearty on me doise. Unkoivalani al shishalachtani. A tiny clap at the Mabish to Kawayakal as I shlick as a guide him given the matzah from Heda von Yidden. Und die Rippen ist der eine Schlafichich atta tira asule pari tira veloichuli. Maschenken al pira beseno der Schuh, that's a quid in his mis hat eufen abbeis. Kemenit zogen as a tiny zum Moshe's given a fidir on me doise keep shutoi, und as a pakumen an oinesh der far. Now the tiny is bastanen denen was harbe pamem neglacia lem bekel shada. Und auch bis jetzt, mit Duyek, was Rashi sagt, mit meiner Beseele der Schuhe, dem Loschen, er hart all, mit Deusse, wenn er geht, der Moshe, wie er sagt in seinem Peter, Seif, Parashat, Schmeus, all der Chabschat. Here, here, this is what the real Barbara Chirab is suggesting. In Rashi, at the end of Schmeus, and we explain Rashi is taking there, the literal interpretation, he doesn't say it's Medrash, he's talking about the Maisa of us as they're reflected through the body. And remember, even a holy and sacred and splendid body, even a guf kadosh, as Moshe Rabbeinu told the children, is basarhu. It's flesh. It has its rhythm. It has its dynamics. <laughs> it has its its triggers. It has the way it absorbs and detects stimuli and the way it responds. So on the level of pshat, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, and Hashem responds, we don't bring a proof to Moshe's question about Am Hazeh. Lomari Oisala Am Hazeh. And say, oh, Hashem said, you're not like the Avis of Ramitzah Kanyakov because they did not question my ways in this world when they had to buy their plots of land. Rashi doesn't bring that in Parashishmais. Why? Because we said, and now we understand it deeper, because Avram or Yitzchak or Yaakov on a body level, could say, you know, maybe I received reward. <coughs> and 
and therefore Hashem is not going to do this for me. These are our responses of the guf. It was their own individual issues. He has to buy the Marisa Machpela. Yitzchak Avinu wants to find his wells. Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is trying to buy a field. And they're not second-guessing Hashem. They're not questioning His ways. So the Rebbe says on a deeper level, Rashi doesn't bring those things. You know why? He's now explaining Rashi on a deeper level. Because it could be that they actually did have thoughts because of their body, their goof. Could be they did. On the level of goof. On the level of my service on the goof. What does he bring? He brings Avram by the Akedah. Where it wasn't about his own personal, uh, his own personal issue. In Parshas Veda, he speaks about Drash, Rabbi Senu Darshu, the Medrash. Here we're discussing Maisa Avis of the Neshama. So there's a proof from the fact that the Avis did not question Hashem also about their individual things because it's on the level of the Neshama where there's no hearer. So therefore Rashi brings those things as well. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov in their private lives where they didn't question anything. This is on the level of Neshama. Where on the level of Guf, it could be they did. He just brings from the Akedah, where Avram Avinu did not. The same thing you could say about Moshe himself. Moshe at the end of Shemais tells Hashem why you're doing it. He says, on a literal level, this is on the first level of Moshe. Where he complains, why did you send me? He's complaining to Hashem. You shouldn't have sent me. I don't understand what you're doing. By sending me, you made things worse. That's on the level of guf. In the Eidu, when you speak about Rabbi Yisenu Dashu, again on the level of Neshama, you're not going to say Moshe Rabbeinu is literally questioning God that he was punished for it. No, it's a whole different understanding. Over there, it's about the fact that Moshe wanted to understand what Hashem's name is. He wanted to have a deeper awareness of Hashem. And even when he says, why did you afflict the people? He's not questioning God's ways. He's trying to understand in his mind Hashem's mission. That's what he's trying to do. That's why over there, it actually doesn't use the word, you question my ways by Moshe as he does at the end of Parsha Shmois. So the Rebbe is saying it's possible at the end of Shmois, the beginning of the era, era, it's two different layers of reality. And therefore one is Pshat and one is Medrash. One deals with the Guf, one deals with the Neshama. This is based on the fact that there's two layers, there's two different levels. But here one ought to ask the question, one should, one could continue to ask the question, Ein 
Even on the level of a body, how can you say that Moshe really questioned Hashem? You're talking about Moshe. But Moshe, it says, when he was born, his mother saw he was good. What does it mean he was good? So Chazal say the whole house filled up with light. Why did they say that? Because the first time good is mentioned in Chumash's, Hashem saw that the light was good. That's the first type. So when it says she saw that Moshe was good, it means he came with light. As he came into the world, the whole house filled with light. Was with, with, filled with light. So if this is who Moshe Rabbeinu is, how is it then? That he really questions God. Even on the level of the guf. Furthermore, Hashem says, the other is not. You, yeah. Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rambam says, was nifcha mekal adam. He was the, he reached the ultimate perfection that a person can reach. He was the most choiciest of the entire human species. Even the others. He was greater than the others. That's what the Rambam writes. Nifcher mikol minhen nushi. Moshe was the quintessential human being. So the other is not, and Moshe, yeah. So you'll say, well, on a level of a body. But even on the level of the body, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was filled, when he filled the world with light, it was his body. And the Rebbe brings in 40 focuses another opinion that means he was good. What it means she saw he was good is that he was born circumcised. That's a phenomenon in the body. Not in the soul only. So you have to say when the house was filled with light, it's also a phenomenon of the body. His body radiated divine light. That's question number one. Question number two. We have a principle, Chazal tells us that the Torah is sensitive even to an impure animal. You don't even want to talk about the disgrace of an impure animal. Certainly a Jew, certainly Moshinabeinu, unless it's necessary. Why is the Torah telling this us? Why is the Torah telling us? Why is it relevant to the story? Moshe questioned God, and we're bringing out the negativity. Moshe is not like the others. So if there's a lesson, fine, I understand. It's important to give lessons. But the Rebbe says, what's the lesson? So maybe the lesson is that we should realize that we shouldn't question God. In other words, let's learn from the others in contrast to Moshe. But the Rebbe says, is that a real lesson? You're telling Moshe, you're telling a Jew that even Moshe didn't attain this. So this is what you demand from every single Jew and at every time in his life? These are the two questions. There's another question. On the Pasuk Ve'era, it says, Ve'era, I appeared, So Rashi quotes Ve'era, and he says, El Ha'avis, to the Avis. That's superfluous. It says clearly in the Pasuk, I appeared to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. At this point, we know who Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are. What is Rashi adding by saying, El Ha'avis? Is the Hasbarin, the explanation is, Rashi is the Mitois and Samaz Bezayin, as the Inyin ve'ili from ve'ed el Avram, re'iyin el Akuz, Bevados and Muchash is with the Vados Shadeli Yagash was was the father is by saying that you went and Rachem Doisai from Zegat al Tzavis from the Bnei Yisrael. That says that Zveid is he got me to want to say that even that those that are becoming Biyirusha from the Avos to the Bonim Nachzei for the Ma'av Zoychel Ben Ben Noiv Chuli Bechachma 
And this is before in Torah from the parashim as ein kaidin avas alul shloishim. As pchinas ha avas yirush libnei macherei bechal dair pchinas avas sadechli is bechal adam. Those is the top. If the time was the Ebrish that gives a Hatzamayish Rebbein Chaval al the Abdin Velamishtakhin, the Baldas Veeda al Avram, is given alts to Ovois, is Netake Noit for Enthron as Avram, Gaimas and Andesh, the Baldas Donetsk Halts Ovois, is Bechol Adam als Bendav Zainon Zichanan in the Pchinas Veeda, Habendig Birusha. The answer why Rashi says Al Ovois is because Rashi is trying to say that when Hashem says, I appear to Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, in other words, they had a clear awareness of godliness, like when you see something, when somebody sees something, what do we say? Seeing is believing. So this experience, and that's why they didn't question God. They were at peace with God because they had a direct, intimate experience of Hashem. So they could be okay with the fact that they didn't understand because they knew this is the reality of Hashem. And once you know that it exists, once you know Hashem is here, Hashem is present, Hashem is infinite, Hashem is infinite love, they could be fine, they could be okay. This experience they had not as individuals, they had it as avais, ve'eira la'avais. They had it as our fathers. In other words, the ve'eira was given to them in a way that it becomes part of the genetic mutation, so to speak. It becomes like a genetic mutation that is bequeathed to all of the Jewish people for eternity. Because the father bequeathes his qualities to the child, just as the mother bequeathes her genes and qualities, as the Mishnah says in Masechus Adias. Every one of the Avais exists in us. It's true genetically and it's true spiritually. We are each products that come from Avram, that come from Yitzhak, that come from Yaakov. So Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov live in us. It's not like the Shvatim. The Shvatim, there's 12 tribes, and some Jews come from Reuven and not from Shimon. Some Jews come from Yehuda and not from Yosef. Some Jews come from Binyamin and not from Levi. Some Jews come from Levi and not from Yehuda. But the Avais, it says, Avais are only three. The Gemara says, Ein karen Avais elalish In Brachas, Tezayin. So the Altar says in Torah, because the dimension of the Avais go to every Jew. The Shvatim, it's different path. There's 12 pathways. I may not have your path. But Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov is generic for every Jew because they're our fathers. It's true genetically. We carry literally their genes and everything that's embedded in their genes. And it's true, of course, spiritually. So Rashi says, Hashem is not speaking about Avram Yitzhak and Yankov as three individual people of great stature. He's talking about them as fathers, as fathers who bequeathed what they have to their descendants, to their progeny, to their offspring throughout the generations. And that's why Hashem could tell Moshe, ah, Chaval al da'abdin, I miss the Avais. Since I appear to them as Avais, as fathers. So one can say, oh, Avram and Yaakov were different because they were just unique. But here, they're fathers. And therefore the child has the imprint, has the, the, the gene, has the essence, has the soul of a father. So the Va'era is a gift that's given over to the Avais and is bequeathed to the Jewish people. That's why Rashi says, So therefore it belongs to Moshe Rabbeinu also, and it belongs to every Jew also. But wait, wait. We could still take this one step further, and we could dissect it a little further and say, come on. Come 
I may inherit things from my father, but it's not on the same level. True. A father bequeathes to a child, a mother bequeathes to a child, but we can understand that a child does not reach or attain necessarily, at least in certain aspects, the same stature, the same level of the father. It's not on the same level. Right? He says in 52, we have the expression, brakharadavua. A son is the, is the leg, is the foot of the father. Why the foot? The foot is a lower level. You could say, okay, the Ve'era was given to them as fathers, as patriarchs, and therefore it's bequeathed to the next generations, but it gets diluted. <laughs> it gets compromised. It gets minimized. It gets filtered. It gets condensed. A child doesn't necessarily embody the full dazzling uh, uh, depth of, of their grandfather, their great-great-grandfather. Is the beard in them Eichmanum is in Pidash Rashi. But the explanation in this is also intimated in Rashi. Rashi says, Va'era el ha'avos. The ganze gili from Va'era is given to the avos. The hainu as the gili is nit mitzad on loit zeyam adregim yuchedes in avodas Hashem. Avram ayavi in kava ava. what the Eloi from Ve'eda, Takr Baruchim Sadatzme, is to Ovis, was the Mtayer of Mitzias Macht of the Ben, is moving as the Eloi Kamei Shehubam of Kumbirush into the Kinder. And all people and all is not even understanding, we bowed as yet the Eden culture came by Shrabein, had the meaning from Ve'eda, Birush Shemei Ovis, Hind Vikumtis, was thus at Nit Abgalta, Mei Shrabein, for the Rachemidus. So the Rebbe says, no. Rashi says, Ve'eda Ela Ovis. And what he means is that the whole Ve'eda came to them only because they were fathers. It wasn't a response to their own spiritual level in serving Hashem. Avram has the dimension of love and Yitzhak the dimension of awe and strength. It was given to them because they're fathers, in other words, because of their children. And the child inherits everything from the father. So in the Va'era, there's no distinction between the fathers and the children. When you say that a parent inherits things to children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, but it's not in the same way, it's diluted. It's on a much lower level. It's when you're talking about things that the father or the mother achieved through their own work and because of their own work, because of their commitment, their avodah Hashem. So this will go over to the children, but it may not be as intense, it may not be as revealed, it may not be as potent, it may be more dormant. But here Hashem is saying, The reason that I appear to them is because they are your fathers. Who makes you a father? Your child. There's things you have not because of you. There's things you have because of your child, because you're a father. is because they were avos. In other words, it's the child that makes them avos. It's the child that allows you to have it. I gave it to them for you. Aha, if so, whatever they had is coming to you because it's going to them because of you. It's not coming to them because of themselves. So after we explained all of this, we're back to our big question. So Moshe Rabbeinu now doesn't have it. 
The Avais get it because of the children. So we explain that the Vaira of the Avais is embedded in every single Jew. And that's why Rashi says, Vaira el Ha'avais. And that's why you can ask Moshe. And you could compare and say, Chaval al da'avdin v'lamishtakhin. Look how the Avais were, because this experience of having a relationship with Hashem that is real and intimate, like seeing, it's like when you see something. And the, the, it's a real thing. And therefore they didn't have to logically wrap their brains around God. Because if you know that Hashem is very real and He exists and He's present, every, everything is different. doesn't mean I understand why it happened. But it means that there's a certain calmness, there's a certain serenity. So Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, ah, we are those Avais, because this Va'era is something that was given to them because of the children, and therefore it's the same level that it's by them as by the children. And yet we see here that Moshe Rabbeinu, from all people, from all the children, Moshe is questioning Hashem. Every Jew, certainly Moshe has the Va'era. If every Jew has it, certainly Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet Moshe questions, not like the Avais. And as the second question, and, and who's Moshe, the one who filled up the whole world with light right when he was born with his body? And the second question, we don't even, we don't even speak negatively about an impure animal if it's not necessary. Why does the Torah tell us the story? How does it add? So the Rebbe now tells us the answer. Listen to the answer. Possibly this is the explanation. Razal Zagan, Chazal say, The Jewish people were liberated from Mitzrayim because of their amuna, This is in Mechilta B'Shalach, and in Yalkut Shemayna, you could see in the footnotes. 53 star. had the Yerusha dike amunno in his kashas von idem with the neighbors to gedavt by zei veren zeyers an eigener inyen. What does it mean they were left Mitzrayim because of amunna? says it means that by them there was revealed that essential, what we call pintalayid, nekudas hayadus, the seminal core of Judaism, the relationship of a Jew with Hashem, which is expressed in amunna. Emunah is the fact that in his deepest or her deepest place, there is an awareness of a connection and a relationship with Hashem. Emunah is not, I just believe in something you told me. Emunah is the manifestation of this relationship. And when the Jewish people can experience it in a real and vivid way, it allowed them to become free. I, even in exile, they always believed. Hashem told Moshe, Jews are ma'aminim, b'nei ma'aminim. Moshe said they won't believe me. Hashem says they believe. But that's ma'aminim, b'nei ma'aminim. Anachno ma'aminim, b'nei ma'aminim. 
They're believers because they're the children of believers. Children inherit what their fathers and mothers have. Since Avram Yitzhak Yaakov had a Munah, Jews also have a Munah. But that's something that you inherit. Ma'aminim, b'nei ma'aminim. But on their own, integrated in their own psyche, in their own qualities, they didn't have the full revelation of Amunah. They didn't have what's called Ure'eya Amunah. You have to shepherd the Amunah. You have to nurture the Amunah. For Jews to be able to go out of exile, physically and spiritually, in their own merit, they had to become free. It was their schar, he says, b'schar ha'amunah. It was a reward for themselves. So this Yerushadike Amunah, this inherited faith, this inherited relationship of Jews with Hashem had to become something that is their own. I need to own it. There's things I get from my father, my mother, my Zaydah, my Baba, my Elta Zayd. I don't own it. Sometimes it's in guilt, sometimes it's trauma, sometimes it's blessing, sometimes it's amuna, sometimes it's resilience, whatever it is. We inherit the qualities of our parents to some degree and also some of their challenges. But I don't own it. Then there is owning your life. And it's not a simple process. Some of us, we simply live out the stories of our parents. And this is true positively, it's also true not positively. Right? Sometimes I'm just living out the stories of my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. I think there's a professor in Mount Sinai Hospital. She's the one who developed this whole understanding of epigenetics, claiming that the traumas of our ancestors in Stalin's Russia or in Hitler's Holocaust or wherever they were in the world is not just something that the children lived with or the grandchildren saw, but it actually goes into the genes. So it may come out in your child because it's in the genes. That's true with trauma. It's also true with good things. We don't only inherit trauma. We also inherit faith and resilience and wisdom and mysterious nefesh <coughs> and kindness. We have 2,000 years of resilience inside of us. We're not a small people. You're not a small person. But that's all <coughs> the story I begin with. <coughs> Hashem sends every neshama to the world, you know, with its, with its package. Here, special delivery. Special delivery. And who knows what's in those genes and what's going to come out. The Rebbe says, then come, then now you have to make your life yours. Now you have to own your life. Such a beautiful concept. Now you have to take response. Now it's my life. I can't blame my mother and my grandmother, my great grandmother, and my father. And my, uh, <laughs> you could bl- you could blame them. You could blame them for a lot, but ultimately you have to make your life yours. The Jewish people have inherited a lot. Ma'minim b'nei ma'minim. That's even in exile. It's always ma'minim b'nei ma'minim. You can't take that away. It's like I'll tell you, you don't have your genes. I'll change. I, I can't change the color of your eyes. I can't change the color of your soul. You're Jewish. You have a muna. Are you screaming you're an atheist? You're screaming you're an atheist. As somebody once said, Jewish atheism is unique because Jews deny God with religious fervor. <laughs> Think about that. There's no atheist like Jewish atheists. Like Jewish atheists. <laughs> I once said from Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the legendary Rabbi Sachs, Zechariah Levracha, he was giving a speech, and he was going through all the top atheists of the last few generations. They were Jewish. You know, he spoke about uh, Sigmund Freud. He spoke about Karl Marx. <coughs> Excuse me. 
He, he was mentioning some of the you know Jewish philosophers and psychologists and economists who all you know <laughs> devout atheists. So he says, my only question is Charles Darwin. In his words, he was such an apicaitis. Why wasn't he a Jew? Charles Darwin was such a good apicaitis. Why wasn't he Jewish? He says, I know, must have just been a random mutation. So the bottom line is that you have to own it. Now it's my life already. In other words, I say, okay, this is what I got. And now what, what is going to become mine? He says in Yiddish, is an eignerinian. It has to become mine. This is my thing. The Amunah now, I own my life. And I have to say, and, and we all know that that's how we stop cycles of, of trauma. You know, do I say, okay, this is what I got and I'm going to give it over to my kids <laughs> and they'll have to deal with it. And I want to say this to all of us, you know, in our own life. Sometimes you become aware of certain patterns in your life and certain decisions that you made. You didn't have choices. You did the best that you could with the tools that you had. You really did. The question is, am I passing it on? Or am I going to say, stop, <laughs> stop, let's become aware, let's not behave like robots, let me not just be triggered and respond to the stimuli. Viktor Frankl writes, between stimuli and response, there's a space. It's in that space where human meaning emerges. You hear? Between stimuli and response, there's a space. That's the space where you own your life. If there's no space, I don't own my life. You stimulate me a certain way, you trigger me a certain way, boom, (laughs) boom. Flight, fight, freeze, whatever, whatever the response is. Aggression, suppression, brazen aggression. Passive aggression, <clears throat> anger, detachment. <laughs> detachment is a good one. But it's right away. It, it's, there's no space. There's no, sp- there's no ownership. In other words, I'm just a gene. <laughs> I'm just a gene. But Yiddishkeit says you're not just a gene. Your genes are a manifestation of neshama, of, of presence. So I have to make it my own. Now we'll now listen to this test. Moshe was the leader to help the Jews do this. This is achieved through Moshe. The difference between the Ovis and Moshe is the Ovis are the fathers. They're the progenitors. So they have given us Yiddishkeit. They have given us the Pintaliyid and the Amuna as an inheritance. Every Jew has it naturally embedded within him or her by birth because you're a son or a daughter of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Moshe adds a new dimension. 
Moshe is not just one of the seven shepherds, the seven Ushpizen, that gives life and godliness and spirituality to the souls. Moshe Rabbeinu is called Raya Mehemne. He's the faithful shepherd and he's the shepherd of faith. Raya Mehemne is the expression of Moshe and Zohar. Raya Mehemne says the Alter is not just he's a faithful shepherd. He's the shepherd of faith. He shepherds the Jewish people with faith. He takes a munna and he helps us integrate it that it should become mine. It should become internal. It should become real inside of me. I'm not just a response to my parents. It's mine. I own my life. This is what Moshe does. The Amunna permeates your essence and therefore is manifested in your life all the way till action. Because it's not just a gene. <laughs> Again, we inherit from our parents so much. Some things are challenging. Some things are amazing blessings. With both of them, I have to say, and what am I going to own? And what am I going to hold on to? And what I'm gonna, what's going to define my life? This is what Moshe gives the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu, he's a teacher. He doesn't just bequeath genes. He challenges us to make decisions. He challenges us to have awareness. Now we'll understand why Moshe asks Hashem, why? The Avais don't, Moshe does. And we'll understand why the Torah tells us the story, even though it seems to bring out the negative about Moshe, because Avram Avinu and Yitzhak Avinu and Yaakov did not question God. And I will understand the response of Hashem. Und der Ribbe sagt Rashi, besäuf Parashat Shmois, hier heilt all mit euch sein. Leuka Avram, was leihirer Ache mit euch sein. Der Mitte ist ein Madgesch, als der Beginne von leihirer, was ist da bei Moshe. Und bei allen Eden mit Zad Avram, alles ist nicht maspek. Wie bald, als mit Zad Atzmei begalli, hier heilt er. Warum das ist ein Indien? Was kommt bei Jerusha? Aber mit Zad Tivei und mit Zad Yusei von dem Ben Gufe, kann sein, er ist Maharer. Und der Uftu von Moshe ist gewinnt, als euch hat der hier heilt er. Soll kein Ort nicht haben durch Dibura Kodesh Baruch Hu, Gilui von Veira, Keniskele El. Wow. <coughs> this is pretty intense. At this point in history, they're about to have Geula. Moshe is going to Egypt. Moshe is in Egypt because Hashem sent him to emancipate the Jewish people. So this is the point in history where the Jews, we have to take it up a notch. The connection of Jews with God 
through Emunah can't just be a product of my father, my mother, my Zayda, my Baba. Ma'aminim, b'nei ma'aminim. The Emunah could be and must be integrated and become their own. How did this happen? Through Moshe's question. Moshe has Emunah. Every Jew has Emunah. But the question is, whose Emunah is it? Is it the Zayda? Is it the Baba? Or is it mine? Moshe was bringing himself and the Jewish people to the next level. Moshe is the one who tells us emuna ought to be integrated. It has to be in my kishkas, in my gut. You say, but Moshe's, the whole house was filled with light. And why bring out the negativity? He says, it's not negative. It's a different stage. Moshe is the one who's going to help the Jewish people find it within themselves. And this is accomplished by Moshe thinking, by Moshe questioning, by Moshe asking the question, Lama Lama In other words, that even in that space where there are questions, even in that space where there are doubts, even in that space where there's a protest, where my system is like, this is not okay, what are you doing? Can you have a relationship with Hashem in that space? That's what the Va'era is. Hashem, Moshe asks a question because the, there's a muna in Moshe. Of course there's a muna. And there's a muna in every Jew. But that muna is my father's, my Zedas, it's Avram's, it's Yitzchak's, it's Yaakov's, which is amazing. That's the beginning. That's the foundation. But as we said, Geula happens when it becomes their own. What does it mean, my own? It reaches in that space where, where I do have questions. It reaches into my mind, into my heart, into my body, where there is, where, there is where, where I am triggered. Because it has to become mine. And for it to become mine, it has to become mine. It can't be yours, it has to be mine. And if it has to become mine, I need to be able to have the space to integrate it into me. Right? If I'm speaking to my students, and I'm like, student, I really want you to get this. And somebody says, I don't get it. Get, you have to get it. I don't get it. You have to work. You have to work with the person. Getting it on my terms doesn't mean you got it. It means I got it. So Hashem's response of Eira is a response to Moshe's question. That this Eira. What is Eira? Eira is the intimate awareness. It's like something you see. Eira. I have appeared. The intimate awareness. The connection of Jew with Hashem through Emuna could become something that's fully integrated in the identity of every Jew. In that space, where on his own or on her own, they could question God. It's not something that's transcendent. It's something that permeates that space where there is, where there is resistance. That Hashem says, Va'era, in that space you can develop and find your relationship with God right there. And then you don't have to question you embrace that muna becomes real in that space where there are, where there are triggers, where there is no understanding. That's why Rashi says at the end of Shmois, Hashem told Moshe, you're second guessing me not like Avraham. So listen how the Rebbe explains this. He wasn't, we all learn, you're not like Avraham. You know, Avraham was a good guy and you're like, 
Like somebody wrote, you know, when you come to school, you're not like your older sister, right? Anybody ever told that to you? You're not like your older brother. When your older brother was in yeshiva, you remember? When your older brother, when your father ever, when your father was in yeshiva, Aaron, you're lucky you never had this, Rabbi Aaron. <laughs> when your father was in yeshiva? <laughs> Rabbi Litzman, you also didn't have this, right? So we all learn, Hashem is saying, you know, Avram, like, he was a good guy. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, okay. <laughs> he says, no, that's not what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, when Avram is not Maharer, Avram is our father, his genes are us. When Avram doesn't question God, I also don't question God. Moshe doesn't question God. Avram lives in every Jew. Hashem is saying, like Avram, you can't be like Avram. Why? Because Avram not questioning God, which exists by Moshe and exists by every Jew, that's Avram's gift in you. That's Avram's gene. But where are you? You can't be like Avram. You are Avram, but you still can't be like Avram. Like Avram is also a compliment. <laughs> You're not like Avram. What does it mean you're not? You are, you, it means you are, you have Avram inside of you. But that level is insufficient. The loy here, the not questioning God that you have because of Avram is not sufficient because it's your inheritance. But what is yours? What's yours? Where are you? And how do we know it's insufficient? Because you're questioning. This means that the inheritance has not been become holistic. It's not been integrated. You're questioning. So when he says, He's not talking about Avram of old. He's also talking about the Avram that lives in you, Moshe. The, the, the fact that you're questioning, it means, because it's not enough that you're like Avram. And you have in you and in the Jewish people this emunah that is infinite, that is eternal, that is timeless, that is always there in every single Jew, no matter who he is or she is, that's an inheritance. But where I am today, my nature, my disposition, my character, it's not worked through. There's resistance, there's blockages, there's trauma, there's childhood wounds, there's pain, there's suffering. And therefore I'm triggered, I protest. Why? Comes Moshe, and he gives us the next gift. He teaches us the ability that in that space where there are questions, in that space where there is hirharta, we can also bring in holiness. And that happens through God's communication by Hashem saying, I appeared. What do you mean? I, 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 I'm having all these questions. I get it. And then Hashem says, I appeared. There's a presence that Hashem says, I'm present in that space too. I'm present there too. And if you embrace that space, you'll find me too. You'll find me there. You don't have to amputate any part of yourself. You don't have to cut off a part of yourself. This is deeper than Avram. Avram is the foundation. Yitzhak is the foundation. Yaakov is the foundation. But the fact that they were not Maharer, that's not enough for you, Moshe. That's a Yerusha. But now we need Geula. Geula means it has to become mine, it has to become yours, it has to become ours. So of course you have to ask. Lamare Salamaza.
and the accomplishment of Moshe is that in that space you can transcend the, the second the, the the questioning God in that space you can embrace Hashem fully peacefully in that space where there is naturally doubt and protests you can really allow your relationship to shine right there so that you can accept and embrace with peace. Yeah, so, so what are we learning here? Somebody writes, epigenetics is the tag attached to a gene based on ancestors' experiences, and then we could become cycle breakers. And this is true with difficult experiences, and it's also true with positive experiences. So our dear friend says, I'm not convinced that past trauma actually affects the DNA. DNA, based on what science knows now, is such a complex structure made up of amino acids. I can't understand how the amino acid sequence could change from emotional or even physical trauma. The transmission of the DNA to the newborn child originates from the DNA of the parents. How do the amino acids get altered through trauma. I think the emotional trauma inherited is a more subtle type of transmission. So it's not set in stone. It's not seen in an alteration of the amino acids and the sequence of the DNA molecules. The trauma and past is held in the body in a more subtle, more spiritual way, perhaps. Since I am no geneticist, so I hear... Is this Sikh explaining that there is a faith gene, but that it alone is not enough? Does this explain the huge disconnect a lot of us experience with what we know, believe, and the way we feel, act? Exactly, that's the whole point. There is a faith gene. We're using the word gene, you know, a little metaphoric. It's also genetic. But gene, as in, as he says, it's Birusha. Of course, it's a faith gene. This is what's called the Pintalayid that every Jew has. You can't get rid of it even if you try. You can't change the color of your eyes. Say, you're not my mother, you're not my father. There's biological truths, there are spiritual truths. There's the color of your eyes, there's the color of your soul. Bistayid. The question is, you can embrace it or you could fight it. But there could be a disconnect. And what's the disconnect? The disconnect is. There's something we know deep down or we believe deep down. Belief is really knowledge. It's a form of awareness. And then there's the way I feel. There's the way I act. There's the sensations in my body. There's the emotions in my body. And there's a huge disconnect. Somebody says, my father recently explained to me that faith is a craft we have to hone and master over a lifetime. So maybe this is the idea. Take what you are given and work with it to make it your own, yes. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu introduces, and for this he has to ask the question, because he has to work with the resistance. You get it? You hear the word? You got to work with the resistance. Don't run away. Don't say, I have a muna. In the place where I say, why, why, why? That's where the protest is. That's where the resistance, that's where the fear is. Don't run away. God says, I appeared. I'm going to help you find me in the resistance. I'm going to help you integrate truth into all parts. 
So you don't have to amputate your identity and just rely on the faith gene. You're going to integrate it in your feelings, in your mind, in your heart, in your gut, in your body, in the place where there's a question. Hashem says, I appear to the Avais, I appear to Avram Yitzchak This communication of Hashem to Moshe is something that happens right now in response to his question, saying that even though on your own, there are so many questions and protests. Number, nonetheless, I'm empowering you and I'm shining this light on you that you can find this access, this awareness, this intimacy in that space where on your own you're rattled with questions. Somebody says, this is quite physical. Take diabetes, for example. Whole communities suffer from their ancestors' problems of hunger. Gu'ula happens when we are not sheep in the positive sense of the word, doing this, just emulating. It seems like the whole notion of making everyone look the same flies in the face of getting people to own their faith. And our friend, our friend, you know who our friend is from Pakistan, says, I think both of you are right. Bodily complexities can be inherited like genetically transferable inabilities, diabetes, as well as emotional trauma, through spiritual connection of child to their parents, emotional trauma through soul and bodily complexities through genetics. Both are true. Genetics is the gun and lifestyle is the trigger. (laughs) Very good. Good line. Genetics is the gun and your lifestyle is the trigger. So that's where you have to choose if you're going to pull the trigger <laughs> or not. For this, we need conscientious awareness. Okay, the end of the sicha I'm going to do outside, because I want to finish it today. So I'm just going to do it briefly. We still have Yud Aleph and Yud Be- uh, Sif Yud Aleph and Yud Beis. He says, based on all of this, we'll understand how Rashi splits up his two explanations at the end of Shmois, in the beginning of an era. One he attributes to Pshat, and one he attributes to Medrash. We explain that the explanations in Pshat are based on the body. But now we understand this doesn't mean that the body of Moshe was alienated from Hashem. And it was like, God, you're not on my team. Moshe was born goodness, and he brought in that light immediately. It means, listen to this, that Moshe is doing something that when you look at it externally, it could look like he's questioning God. That's what we mean, that mitzad his guf, there's hirer, there's a hirer tel midoisai. It means that when you're looking at it from a literal perspective, from an external perspective, you can interpret it as an opposition to God. So therefore, on the level of pshat, on the level of guf, which is applicable to every Jew, wherever he or she is, how do we interpret it? We interpret it as Moshe questioning God. Because we need to help people find their amuna wherever they are, including by those people whose body is still eclipsing their soul, so they can't experience the amuna of the soul. There is a disconnect. The body asks God, why, why, why? I'm really not okay with you. And there is the sense of disconnection and mistrust. 
So Moshe is there for them. Moshe is the leader of all the Jewish people. Moshe doesn't give up on Jews. And Moshe helps them experience the Va'era, to be able to find an awareness that is so deep, that is so real, that in their pain and in their body, they should be able to find connection. And they don't have to live in the space of separateness, of alienation, of questions and more questions and more questions. So it doesn't mean Moshe himself is in that place. It's a place of Moshe where he's worked through in his body. And when you look at it externally, Moshe Rabbeinu is accomplishing something. Moshe Rabbeinu is doing something. If you look at it from a very simple perspective, it looks like that's what it is. But what is it really? It's really finding the amuna in the body. And therefore it relates to every single Jew. On the next level, Rabbi Seinu Darshu and Parshish Vedu, we talk about the Neshama. When you see by Jews their soul, then there's no questions on God. All they want to understand is, what is your name? They want to understand Lama Esau with their mind because they want a deeper relationship. So Moshe Rabbeinu helps them see that even intellectually they can experience God in their seichel, their muna can integrate the God who is beyond rationality and God who is beyond understanding and God who I can't wrap my brain around. That itself can be very integrated inside of me. In other words, my mind doesn't become a trap. It opens me up to that which transcends my mind. Based on all this, he says, we also understand the connection to Chavdala Tevis. The Alter Rebbe's yard site often falls out in Parshas Ve'era. So it's by divine providence. The Alter Rebbe passed away, Metzai Shabbos, the beginning of Sunday of Ve'era. And here the Rebbe says something interesting. The Alter Rebbe revealed the shit of Chassidus Chabad. This was his achievement. But the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid gave the world Chassidus. But the Alter Rebbe gave Chassidus Chabad. Why? What was the addition? You have the Baal Shem Tev, you have the Magid, and you have the Balatanya. So the Rebbe says there's one aspect that we want to bring out. There's others, but here he wants to bring out one aspect. And that is... Chsidis ignited very much emuna. The Balshemtiv lit up the fire in the Jewish soul. The Balshemtiv was like divine nuclear energy. You know, he resurrected the Jewish world. What was the Alter Rebbe's achievement? The Alter Rebbe wanted that the nuclear energy of emuna should become fully integrated. That emuna which is an inherent state in every Jew, and when you reveal it, it's very powerful. But the Rebbe wanted it should be fully integrated, and when things are integrated, it means they permeate my brain on every level. <laughs> they permeate my prefrontal cortex, and they permeate my limbic brain, and they permeate my amygdala, and they permeate my vegan my my nerves and the nervous system all the way into the body. The Rebbe wanted that chsidus amuna should permeate the whole person, the holistic person. And that means Chabad, Chachma, and Bina, and Das, the various parts of the, of the brain. So that I shouldn't only rely and trust that there's a core, a gene of faith inside of me that can be concealed, but I'm disconnected. But the Amuna, 
grows into a full mature person because it's fully integrated in my own personality and with my own koichas. Maybe before on my own, I couldn't do this. But the Alter Rebbe tried to teach how the emunah that the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid ignited in the Jewish soul could be fully, fully integrated in Chabad and even in the Chutzah. What does Chutzah mean? Outside. That outside which considers itself separate and feels itself as disconnected from the divine and conceals the revelation of Amunah. But there's no place that you can't reach because there's no place that's really alien. There's no part of you that's really alien. It's just waiting for that elevation, for that liberation. And there's no place you have to run away from. That's the Chiddush. You say, but I have all these questions. You don't have to run away. There'll be Va'ir over there also. You don't have to run away from your pain. You don't have to run away from your resistance. There'll be Va'ir there too. The revelation of Amuna that came through the question of Moshe was through Hashem answering Va'ira El Ha'avos that this level of seeing and Amuna that Jews have from the Avos can become yours. It doesn't only have to be a faith gene. It could become your, your, your gene. It could become yours. And just as it was with Mitzrayim, he says it's also true with us. We said that the Muna is what allowed the Geula. So he says, our Geula happens through your Futsum and Esachachutzum, Mashiach told the Baal Shem Tev, when your wellsprings will spread out everywhere. That is Geula. That means Geula consciousness pervades the universe and pervades the human universe, the micro and the macro. So just like by Mitzrayim in Egypt, it's this Amunah. Which Amunah? The Jews always had Amunah. Maminim b'nei Maminim. But that Amunah become there, becomes theirs. In the ultimate Geula, it's Yafutzah Menesech Echutzah. The Amunah is not just transcendent faith that is aloof, that is sublime. But it becomes my oxygen. It becomes my food. It's really integrated. I bring it into every nerve. I bring it into every cell. I bring it into my gut. I bring it into my kishkas, to my body. And it begins, I bring it into my mind, into all parts of my mind. Even those parts that have all these questions and has the resistance. This is what chutzah means. There's no place that you have to run away from. Your chutzah, chutzah was Mashiach telling the Baal Shem Tev, you don't have to amputate any part. Everyone is ready. Every, everything is a vessel for the real thing. And that brings Asimar Mashiach, that all the Jews, every, every type, there's no those that are not part of it, because here it's about everybody, chutzah. All Jews and every Jew will merit, he says, to experience the complete and full gula, the gula of wholeness, as he finishes off, speedily, literally in our days question how does this work with converts converts who come from gentile parents why did i have an urge to convert to judaism when i don't even have these genes great question so the rambam has a letter maimonides he writes to rabbi avadia the convert and he says that all jews their lineage is from itzak and yaakov the convert his or her lineage is directly to god the child of God. 
every convert has within them a hidden, so to speak, a hidden Jewish spark that was dormant, and then at some some point it emerges. That's why the expression in Talmud is Gersh and Isgayer, a convert who converted. Because even before there is a spark. Great question, great question. I understand that this is what Das means, you bring it into the body. Yeah. Okay, Chevre, just to remind you, tonight, 9 o'clock p.m., Basi Legani, 1962, Part 3. It's going to be streamed live on theyeshiva.net. 9 o'clock tonight, Bezer Hashem. It's going to be in person, Four four Dogwood Place in Pomona. Um, it's a big house in Pomona. That's where we learned together last week. It's going to be, God willing, a fascinating class on a fascinating mimer. Wow, I see the deer walking in front of my house. It's extremely graceful. And I wish you all a beautiful day, an awesome Shabbos, and an extraordinary, extraordinary Hatzloch and all. Thank you. Bye-bye. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.